BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. I'm joined by Justin Dunk and JC Abbott, and I'm, as always, John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the slow start to the CFL's CBA negotiations. The Edmonton Elks ditching their antler-adorned helmets from last season. See you later. Hodge's first mock for the 2022 CFL draft. A hotel in Regina canceling Grey Cup reservations without even notifying their guests. Man, come on. You got to be better than that. Canadian Jesse Lucetta pulling up lame at the NFL Combine. And Bo Levi Mitchell's fondness for curling. But first, Dunk, you reported that former Ohio State star quarterback JT Barrett has a $10,000 bonus in his contract with the Edmonton Elks if he wins either most outstanding player or most outstanding rookie in 2022. No rookie has ever won the CFL's MOP award, but four quarterbacks have won MOR, including Chuck Ely, Tom Clements, John Sciarra, and Chris Isaac. Does Barrett have a chance to win a league award in 2022? Everybody's going to say, whoa, 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 just slow down a little bit. But to me, the intriguing part of this is the $10,000 bonus, because as you boys well know, looking over a bunch of CFL contracts, this is the largest bonus that I've ever come across for winning the league's MOP trophy. Normally, you see it in the $5,000 range. Some guys have it for $3,000. But the fact that Barrett has it in there for $10,000, and it's not just for MOP, it's for MOR. Now, technically, if he did win MOR and MOP, he would actually get $10,000 a piece because it says a maximum of two awards. But realistically, he's not going to win the MOP award. Could he win MOR? It's certainly possible, especially when you look at the skill positions and the players that are in those with the Edmonton Elks. You start with James Wilder Jr. at running back. You have guys like Kenny Lawler at receiver, Darrell Walker, Tavon Smith, who's a Canadian burner. And we'll see if Martavis Bryant can actually get across the border and pick up the Canadian game. And the offensive line is stout. And G-Roy Simon, the assistant GM there, has come out and said, yeah, Barrett is going to be in the mix to be the starter. So if he starts with the Elks, based on Chris Jones' track record with defenses, there's a possibility, but he's really got a low chance to win MOR because a quarterback hasn't won that award since 1982. 40 freaking years, boys. What do you think? It, it, it's a long time, but let's also not forget 
it's been a long time since we saw our true rookie quarterback get an extended look in the CFL. The last one to do it was probably Chris Trebler, though he wasn't the starter that year he was in because of an injury to Matt Nichols in 2018. So you might even have to go as far back as Ricky Ray, right, with the Edmonton Elks back in the very early 2000s to see that. So if Barrett can get a look, you highlighted the weapons at his disposal. I'm not saying it's a likelihood, but I do think it's a possibility he could win MOR because there's not a lot of entrenched options ahead of him right now on the depth chart. It's not like he's stuck behind a Michael Riley or a Bo Levi Mitchell. There is a possibility, I believe, for Barrett to move up that depth chart quickly. And I want to get JC's take here in a second, but I got to say, first of all, Ricky Ray had a 24 to 9 touchdown to interception ratio in 2002 with Edmonton. And somehow, the fogies didn't vote him as most outstanding rookie. Like, what is going on? All due respect to Jason Claremont, who had over 700 year, yards that year. Hodge, what was it? Six touchdowns? Six he touchdowns. wins the award. But we have not, dare I say, seen a season like Ray since. And I think even if you go back in history, we got to do some research on this, that you could argue that Ray had one of the best seasons ever for a rookie quarterback in the CFL, didn't win that award. So it shows you what Barrett's going to have to do to get it. But I think certainly if you look at his skill set and the fact, as you mentioned, that there's not really an experienced and trend starter there. Yes, they give $100,000 to Nick Arbuckle, but forget about this money. This is true open competition. And Jones likes these kind of guys, which means in my mind, he has a little bit of a head start here in this comp. Yeah, I, I certainly think this is going to be a, a battle in training camp, and I would not be shocked at all if Barrett won it. I think the team wants him to be in that mix and, and wants him to win that job because of what they're trying to do with that offense. I think this is a some great managerial savvy by Chris Jones in offering this massive $10,000 bonus. Because if you're a player like JT Barrett coming from the States – you think you're going to come up here and dominate. There isn't a player that ever comes up here that doesn't think he's going to dominate. So he has that $20,000 written in stone on his, uh, in his phone, on his wall for motivation. He thinks he's the MOP already. So to lure him up here, knowing that you're probably not going to have to give that money, but he thinks he's going to get it. I think it was brilliant on Chris Jones's part. It was. And we should say that, the contract that Barrett signed was for two years, $65,000 base minimum salary in 2022. That goes up to 70000 in 2023. He's got some housing money in there for $4,000, I believe it was. And then there's some playtime incentives where if he plays 51% of the offensive snaps, he can get $500 per game. So there's some other escalators in there, but it's a bargain rate contract for a guy who's an absolute star. And we've seen Jones in the past. Tried to do this, right? Vince Young was a little bit of a different situation because he was older, but he was a former NCAA star, played in the NFL, went very high, as we all well know, didn't make it through training camp. Now, he was in his 30s. Barrett is still in his 20s, and it sounds like is committed to coming here because of the way that Jones and Simon have talked about Barrett so far. Mm -hmm. I think a, a close comparable might be Doug Flugie, actually, in terms of the high caliber reputation he comes up with but even Flugi in his first season in the CFL struggled he was on the bench half the time he was nowhere close to being the MOR or the MOP so uh, it's going to be an uphill climb for Barrett regardless yeah, and that needs to frame this discussion in my mind that we're not talking about Barrett 
being a front runner for the most outstanding rookie award because lots of times you get to the end of the season and there's no way you would have picked the winner at the start of the season. We're just talking about it in relation to the bonus. And then as I was doing the research for that and stumbled again and just rethinking of Ray's year, the fact that he didn't win it, it's just outrageous. Anyway, we, we got to move on, but, but really quick, Ricky Ray never won a CFL award, never won MLP, did win most outstanding rookie, one of the wildest things ever. Like one of the nicest guys in league history too. So how did the voters not vote at any point, man? I don't know, man. Saskatchewan bias. Saskatchewan bias. <laughs> the Riders fans got their pitchforks out for EJC. Look out, buddy. All right. Post Media's Danny Austin reported that there are still no dates scheduled for formal CBA negotiations. Is this something that CFL fans should be concerned about, fellas? To me, the answer is no, at least not right now. I mean, we are still two months away from the CBA actually expiring. And let's be honest, the best way to innovate or create anything is necessity, right? There is no need to get a deal done by the end of March or even by the end of April. The last few times the CFL CBA has been ratified, it's been after training camp. They once played half a season without a CBA. So obviously it would be great from a fan perspective to see this get done in a quickly, uh, uh, clean fashion, right? To get this taken care of, get, get the deal signed, the I's dotted, the T's crossed. But for me right now in March, I think I'd like to maybe see some progress, but I don't think it's time to hit the panic button by any stretch of the imagination, at least not at this juncture. Yeah, I, I think that, People take this news and think it's the league trying to put pressure on the players and doing something you know, untowards in these negotiations. I don't think that's the case at all. For both sides, you want to have more leverage, get it closer to the expiration of the deal before you do anything. Just look at it from the CFLPA's perspective. I mean, they're only two, two and a half weeks removed from officially filing their notice to bargain, and they didn't even elect their new board of directors until after that, right? A, a full week and, and a little bit after they filed that notice. So they weren't ready to come to the table at all yet. They didn't even have the guys they needed in place to do those negotiations. So this is not a situation where the CFLPA is being screwed over by the league. This is both sides wanting to have the timing right so they have the right leverage. And at that annual general meeting where Adam Big Hill was elected one of the new vice presidents, they would have came up with the plan of attack, so to speak, or what they want to get exactly out of these CBA negotiations. And JC, that's a great point. You mentioned it. If you don't have your team together going into those negotiations, you can't go to the bargaining table. So the fact that that is now in place for the PA means that they can go ahead. And I'm really curious, and we'll never truly know, but I want to understand the impact that Big Hill could make in this situation because he's a guy that's been around the league a long time, teams back up with his former Team 100 mate in Solomon Alamemian, who's, of course, the president of the CFLPA. He's a guy that's super sharp, is making waves, as Hodge would know, out there in the business world in Manitoba. And has played in the NFL, so he's gone through that in terms of going down there and coming back up as a CFL player. And as a guy that, in my mind, it seems like in the long term, even after his playing career is over, could stay in Canada. So he's sort of a de facto Canadian in a sense here, where I think he'll bring a unique perspective to the table and a smart one. Now, 
whether or not that can ultimately net the players a bunch of more money is to be seen. But I think that's a really intriguing addition going into these negotiations. Well, and I, I just think it's great that Big Hill has something to keep him busy because after all, between being in the best shape of his life in his mid-30s, playing at a Hall of Fame level, being a full-time investment executive, and also being super active in the community and raising three kids, somehow he finds the time. I'm just glad he has a way to keep busy. <laughs> that was that was said firmly with sarcasm in case uh, that wasn't picked up. What a man. He does everything. The Edmonton Elks unveiled new helmets this past week featuring a large pair of green E's replacing the antlers that were introduced in 2021. The change seems to have gone over well with fans. What are your thoughts? Well, JC is going to sit there and say, what do you call them green E's for? It's the double E. The double E <laughs> is back on the helmet. And it just seems like I hesitate to say this, but that whatever the new president Victor Kui does with that team is a stroke of genius. Now we need to see if this franchise can actually win. And what I'm actually most curious about is whether or not Kui and Chris Jones get along in the long term, because we all know what Jonesy likes to do. And he's already got his trial camps out there where you got to pay a hundred dollars cash, non-refundable boys. Remember that if you want to show up and go to one of those camps. So I really like this move, but JC, you're the guy that grew up in Edmonton. So what's your take? I think it's brilliant for the whole organization to go back to this. And, and Cree touched on it in some of his comments. I think in general, people within the, the fan base were relatively receptive to the name change. They knew it had to happen. But even those who weren't vocally opposed to the name change, there was a little bit of resentment moving away from some of those tried and true, you know, things that we associate with the Edmonton franchise, the double E, you know, the stripe on the helmet, you know, the green numbering, all these things going away. It hurt a lot of people uh, as someone who grew up an Edmonton fan. My whole family are, are Edmonton fans. This mattered, right? It, it, it sort of sullied their connection to the franchise in a way. And for a team that's trying to reconnect to that community, dig back in, put their roots back in the ground. This was a natural first step. Get the double E back on the helmet, Make sure that people can have those fond memories of the team, not sort of destroyed by what was uh, you know, an unfortunate situation with the name change. I, I like the antlers a lot, to be honest, but I also like the double E. I know that this is not a controversial hot take, but to me, they had a good look. They replaced it with another look. To me, they're both slick, but I do agree with what JC is saying. I also think it's clever. They've made the E's bigger than ever, almost as if to say, you know, see, we're going to grab you by the face and pull you <laughs> back in. You can't miss these E's. They are massive on the side of the helmet, which is, I guess, part of maybe a recent trend towards really large scale logos we've seen at the, you know, CFL, NFL and college levels, you know, even with those stickers somehow getting bigger and bigger all the time. But to me, it's a thumbs up. I like the antlers, but I like this change too. Bro, I gotta say the antlers were trash. Those never oh, should have been on. on there. It clearly didn't work. Hodge, you if you were the president, Chris Preston or whatever, you got fired. He got fired essentially for that was one of the major decisions that he made. I didn't like it because to JC's point, it felt like you lost the history. And I remember, you know, watching a bunch of games throughout the year. I'm like, what random college team am I watching here? Because it doesn't look like the Edmonton football team, you know from the years past or going forward, the Elks 
without the double E on there. Like it just didn't make any sense. I, I don't know how you like those antlers. You want to explain yourself? Well, you think that Guelph's logo looks good, so I don't think you have Ooh. any taste whatsoever, <laughs> personally. Personally, you know, I but... have to be biased in that regard, but I would never say that it, it looks good. I would tweet. <laughs> oh, can we quote you on okay. that? End quote. No, cut can. the tape. Here we there go. There we go. <laughs> I'm t- Send I'm, that to, to the I'm, Griffins. I'm tweeting that at the Griffins, hundred percent. Hey, no, we're being Adlers, honest here, man. The Adlers were legit, but I I do like having the double e back. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for talking about the latest mock draft in the CFL. That also happens to be. Hodge, you published your first 2022 CFL mock draft. Man, I'm glad I don't have to do these anymore. They take so long. It's up on the site. Selections for the top 20 picks across two rounds. You have Western University defensive lineman Deontay Knight going first overall to Edmonton. How confident are you in that prediction? Right now, I would give it about a 60%. We are still a couple of months out, of course, from the draft. We haven't even had the combine yet. But when you look at the rankings, first of all, this draft is not as strong as it has been in past years. And one of the positions at which there's not a lot of depth is defensive line, which has also unfortunately been true of a number of previous drafts. Edmondson does have two Canadian defensive tackles on the roster with some starting experience. They've got Mac Henry, who they brought over from Saskatchewan. They've got Stefan Charles, who's been in the NFL for a long time, but they don't have a young up-and-coming guy to be that next Eddie Steele or that next Donio, a Canadian defensive tackle slash defensive end because Knight has the versatility to play multiple spots along that defensive line who can step in and be that next guy. To me, if it's not Deontay Knight, the other guy could be Terrell Richards, the linebacker out of Syracuse. He didn't play in 2021. However, he's six foot four, 220 pounds, and I think is one of the most explosive athletes in the draft. And I've talked to people in and around the league, some of whom think Deontay Knight will be the first first overall pick. Some of whom have said, you know what? Yeah, Richards didn't play in 2021. And the linebacker position is not as strong of a need for Edmondson, but he is long. He is explosive. And if Chris Jones is making the pick as the general manager of the Edmonton Elks, then he is more likely to pick that long, explosive athlete than he is to necessarily go with the positional fit. So to me, those are the two guys. Knight is just ahead of, of, of Richards in my estimation, but that, of course, could change over the next couple of months. So what you're telling me, Hodge, is that Brock Sunderland picking Cole Nelson fifth overall, that was a mistake? That's thrown out the window? <laughs> well, no, my, I, my understanding is that Cole Nelson is going to be playing offensive line in 2022. Ah, that's why I didn't see. highlight him. I believe their plan is to flip him. I think that would be a smart move in their regard. Um, two fantastic options at the top of the draft there in, in Knight and Richards. The one guy I want to highlight as I think a potential wild card in this entire scenario is Enoch McConzo from uh, Coastal Carolina. Now he's in the NCAA transfer portal right now. He may go back to school. He may go to a bigger school. He's a complete unknown at this, at this stage in terms of whether he'll be in the CFL next year. But in terms of pure talent, he's the guy I would take first overall if I knew for sure he was going to come to the CFL next year. His versatility, uh, the ability to do so many different things. He's played slot corner. He's played safety. He's played linebacker. He's rushed off the edge. 
I can put him anywhere on a CFL football field and he's going to excel. I think he's an ideal Canadian linebacker. Um, if he's coming, I want him first overall. That's going to be the key with this pick, as always, boys, is how does the NFL play into this? Now, the fact that Richards didn't play last year probably, for the most part, takes him off the NFL radar. Knight, in my mind, is a different story because he did go down to the prestigious East-West Shrine game, acquitted himself fairly well down there. There's been a number of NFL teams checking in on him, asking for his film, doing the background research, and he has that pro pedigree that a lot of people like. His dad, Dwayne Knight, played linebacker in the CFL for a number of years. So I think it's probably unlikely that he actually gets selected in the NFL draft. I think you guys would agree. But in my mind, you look at the guys from Canada in recent years that have gone down there and had success. It's mainly been on the lines, offensive line and defensive line. And the most recent that comes to mind for me on the defensive line has to be David Onyemata from the University of Manitoba. Played his Canadian ball up here and. Knight, I'm not saying is going to be as athletic because I think he's a little stiffer, but he has the ability, and Hod, you touched on this, to play inside and outside. And in the NFL now, you have to be able to be multiple in what you can do. So if somebody really likes him, and that's essentially what happened with Onyemata and the Saints actually traded up in the fourth round, I believe it was, to select him, then you could see that scenario with Knight, even if it's him signing a UDFA contract with an NFL team, which could take him out of the mix to go first overall. That said, we've seen a scenario where Dakota Shepley got an opportunity in the NFL, and that did not necessarily take him out of the mix for Jones to select him with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So a lot to be decided here. It'll be dependent on the NFL interest for these top end dudes. Well, we, we've seen Carter O'Donnell, for instance, another guy who is UDFA. He slid around three in his year, albeit, though, in a much deeper draft class. To me, if I'm looking at this particular year, it might be a Tavon Smith type situation where you have a guy who's under contract in the NFL, yet he could still go in the first round. Because if you're a CFL team, let's say at the bottom of round one or even into round two, three, you might say, you know what? No, no disrespect to the guys on the board, but I'd rather have a 50% shot at this elite guy versus the talent that that is available. So I do think we could see NFL players, whether they're drafted down south or signed as UDFAs, I do think we could see those guys go higher this year than they typically have done over the last few years. A group of CFL fans accused Hampton Inn and Suites by Hilton, Regina Eastgate, of canceling Grey Cup reservations without notifying guests. Brian Warishin claimed an employee told him the reservations were priced too low, which led to the hotel to try to book the rooms again, but at a higher price with new customers. A hotel employee denied the allegations to Three Down Nation last week on Wednesday, but the hotel came clean literally the next day and has since agreed to honor the original bookings. How shady is that? It's dirty. It's just dirty, Hodge. Uh, and who I really feel bad for because the CFL fans who had their, their reservations canceled, they've had those restored. They're going to be okay. Covering the story, I felt bad for the hotel employees that this management <laughs> staff hung out to dry. They had no idea. They're getting calls from the media uh, asking questions about canceled <laughs> reservations. Well, they're just a shift worker making minimum wage and their managers off in, in India for two months, apparently. So um, 
I was not too pleased with, with how they were treated. And I felt quite bad for them while covering this story. But thankfully, CFL fans have, uh, have their reservations back and they'll be okay for the Grey Cup. Justice was served. That's what we do at Three Down Nation, right, boys? I found it hilarious that the manager was gone for two months, then it went down to a month, then it went down to a couple weeks. Like There are things called cell phones in this world, and then now Zoom, where you can literally pop on something very quickly from anywhere in the world and give a response to the situation. That if you were the manager of the hotel, I would argue that Grey Cup is the biggest event that is going to be in that city, certainly this year. So you would want to take care of this situation. It created a ton of bad PR for the company, which we know is never good. So they should have jumped on this right away. And by they, I mean the management staff. This is an ultimate fail. Like this needed to be rectified right away. And it was great to see the response, especially on our Twitter feed, that people had their rooms restored because you can't book a room and then just rebook it because you're going to think because you think that people are going to pay more. Like it's like the old Seinfeld episode, like the reservation is there to hold the table. <laughs> that wasn't Seinfeld, but in this case, to hold the room without the reservation. What do we have here? Like that is what it's for. So I'm happy to see the CFL fans get what they actually signed up for. I will say shout out to Laura Stewart on Twitter who tweeted as I called and asked and was told the manager was in India for the next two months. She tweeted that she'd call several times and each time he was apparently out for groceries, which <laughs> I find amazing that this, this manager is simultaneously in India, but also not just getting groceries, but getting groceries several times a week in the middle of the workday. I think that story is fabulous. And I, I appreciated her tweet because it gave me a nice big old belly laugh. Canadian draft prospect Jesse Lucchetta got injured at the NFL Combine when he pulled up lame in his second 40-yard dash attempt. Now, he did post an elite 37.5-inch vertical jump showing his explosiveness, but did not participate in the bench press three-cone or shuttle. How do you think his draft stock comes out after the Combine, but before his pro day? It's an unfortunate situation. You never want to see someone get injured at an event like this. But for Lakera, I don't think it's devastating. He wasn't going to be a very good tester overall. The numbers he put up prior to the injury in the broad jump, I think he was nine foot six inches. Uh, his first 40 time was not all that great. Uh, this minor injury, hopefully it's minor, uh, might have actually prevented him from putting up another lackluster 40 time. And the drills like the three cone or the shuttle, which he might not have run at the combine anyway, were not going to be his strong suit. Um, so hopefully he can go to his pro day and elevate his draft stock there doing the drills that suit his skill set. Um, and he can rise to be the mid round draft prospect that, that many people feel he is, but this was just not going to be the setting in any case for him to excel. Uh, and the injury sort of saved him some embarrassment, I think from that second 40. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, JC is absolutely bang on. Luketa is not going to be someone who's on the podium at the underwear Olympics, right? Since we've had the combine, right? Everyone's talking about, you know, the random receiver from North Dakota state who at six foot four runs or whatever, a four, two, six. And you know, this guy, that guy, whatever. At the end of the day, football is about making plays. That's what Jesse Loqueta has always done. And he's somebody who is kind of positionless. He talked about this during his media availability 
at the combine where, you know, he's not really a true linebacker. He's not really a true defensive end. So to me, he's somebody who a coach, whether it's in the film room or interview is going to have to fall in love with and really pick, okay, this is, this is our guy to fill this particular role because he's not a plug and play type of player, just given that he doesn't really have a true traditional uh, position. He's a guy who's going to have to float around and be really multiple in terms of what he can do on defense and on special teams. In today's NFL, in my mind, Hodgeville, that could actually be a positive for him in terms of his draft stock, depending on the team that he goes to, because I think you need to be multiple in the NFL that we're seeing today. His best trait, in my mind, is his high motor and his compete level, and he showed in his vertical that he has that explosiveness. You talk to different scouts on both sides of the border, NFL, CFL, what have you, and they'll tell you that they don't necessarily care about the 40 for a pass rusher. They want to see that get off and the explosiveness and the ability to bend the edge. Now, we've seen Luketa flash that at Penn State, but he's probably actually better against the run, which sometimes we all forget with the flash and dash now and how much they're throwing the football in the NFL that is still a factor, right? We've seen the Tennessee Titans do it with a guy like Derrick Henry. You still need to be stout against the run or you're going to get it stuffed down your throat. So I think the fact that Luketa can play multiple positions and his tape really jumps out to me, solidifies his draft stock, regardless of the testing numbers that he's going to put out, because you said it, it's not going to be on the podium for the underwear Olympics. And a lot of times those guys that win those awards in the fastest 40, they don't necessarily have long and productive NFL careers anyway. Yeah. I was thinking about that with all the super fast receivers this year. It's like last I checked John Ross, who was an ultimate (laughs) underwear Olympics champion a few years ago, has done nothing in the NFL. CFL, Global Linebacker Theodric Hansen, helped lead an initiative to evacuate roughly 50 BIPOC refugees from Ukraine, providing food, water, and safe transportation to shelter in his home country of Germany. JC, you did an interview with Hansen. How amazing is what he accomplished? It's pretty amazing. And I was thinking about this the other day, Hodge. There was a, a, an article of your insider talk a while back where someone inside the league said, who is ever going to care about a German bus driver? (laughs) Well, I think that entirely (laughs) depends on who's in the bus that he's driving because he just made a noticeable impact on the lives of 50 individuals who are fleeing a war-torn nation who may not have otherwise been able to get somewhere safe, get home to their native countries uh, and escape the terrible tragedy that's happening in Ukraine. So kudos to Theodric Hansen. Uh, just an incredible initiative he did all by himself. He said he was scrolling social media. He was about to do a post and he decided, what if there's something more I can do? So he organized it himself with a friend of his little sister. He knew back from Germany who had some connections with organizations, uh, did all the heavy lifting, had some donations, but paid for all the transportation and food up front uh, and and was able to get some of that back. But a a tremendous initiative on his uh, behalf to be able to do this in Ukraine. The message that really stood out to me in the piece that you had, JC, and kudos to you for reaching out to Hanson because it's done really well and been shared all over social media, was take action, right? In society now, we have a lot of these initiatives and people want to talk about it and post it on social media and the hashtags and all the rest. But Hanson said it directly to you. He didn't want to just make you know, a social media post that said, we stand with Ukraine because he wanted to make a tangible impact. Now, some people might look at it and say, well, hey, just drove a bus and picked up 50 people. But 
He's impacting their lives in a very positive way because of the action that he took. So I think in the bigger grand scheme of things, there's something that, you know, us guys here and everybody else can take away from what Hanson did. It was literally to take act, take action and actually get out there and make a difference instead of just posting stuff on social media. I thought it was fabulous. And I agree. I, I want to echo your sentiments, Dunk, because yes, it's, it's about action. You know, it, it's nice to make a poster. It's nice to, to offer some words of encouragement, but it's quite another thing to actually get involved in frame to use its proximity to a war torn country like that is, is remarkable. And on top of that, you know, Theodric Hansen is a heck of a football player too. Um, I, I don't know if there's a player who I personally on special teams would want to encounter less uh, <laughs> than Theodric Hansen. And I think a lot of CFL players, maybe not on the record, but off the record would agree. The man is big and he packs a heck of a punch. Go I got to mention this because what JC pulled out of the story that was intriguing to me, and I'm curious if you guys want to weigh on on this, was Hansen actually was offered a contract at more than the global league minimum, which is $54,000. And the league office, which is the same office that started the global initiative, actually said, no, 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 you can't sign that deal. So I can't understand how you wouldn't want literally the star of your global program to sign that deal and be in the league longer. And now he's actually thinking about not coming back to the CFL because of it, guys, that to me just doesn't make sense along with, I hate to say it, a lot of the other things that go on at the league office. It's absolutely bogus, Dunk. I'm, I can't say enough about how deceptive and, and just dirty that, that move is by the league office. To, to take guys in, I understand having it at $54,000 uh, for the first season you come over or for your rookie deal for these global players who need to prove themselves. But after that, Hansen's done everything he has to do. If he had a Canadian passport with what he does on special teams and his ability to get into the defensive rotation, he would be making decent money. But instead, he's making $11,000 below the league minimum and can't make a cent more than that at this stage. It's absolutely ridiculous. You look like a, a guy like uh, Levi Noel, who's not a starting receiver, but who's a dynamic special teamer. He's got $127,000 in hard money coming next year because of what he can do on special teams. Hansen can do very similar things. He's one of the most feared special teamers in the league, and he's supposed to make $54,000. doesn't make any sense to me, Doug. Levina well will be a starter in 2022 just just to get that Fair out enough. there but secondly are you guys suggesting that something to do with the cfl's global initiative wasn't thought through carefully ahead of time <laughs> if so <laughs> i am shocked i i am flabbergasted <laughs> i can't believe it's, the words that i'm hearing i it's just know, surprising man like you have randy and Brosie out here really pushing the program spending millions of dollars on it and then the guy that's the star of it, right? Like, he wanted Yao Ming. Now, with all due respect to Theodric Hansen, he's not on Yao Ming's level. But still, in the CFL's perspective, Hansen is that. And you won't let him get a raise. So then that means he's not going to be in the program anymore. Like, it just doesn't make well, sense. Make it make sense. And when you say the star of the global program, this is going to oh, this is gonna sound disrespectful to the other players in the global program. 
I don't think it's fair to classify him as the star. To me, he's like the qualifier. Like he's the one worth talking about because unless we want to talk about the kickers who spent the first few weeks of last season spraying the ball all over the field, he's the only noteworthy player. He's an excellent player. It's a shame that if he's not back in the CFL next year, that's a crime because at the end of the day, I'm I'm pretty sure that this initiative is a waste to begin with. But if you don't have Hanson to show for it, it is a complete waste. I think that's a slightly harsh take. I mean, for the global players, you got to at least give the punters some credit. I mean, Kogi Grace was a West All-Star last year out of Australia. Okay, fair enough. Steven, Steven Nilsson was a, a passable starter at right tackle. Uh, Chris Ferguson was not a passable starter for Ottawa uh, out of the Bahamas. Um, but there are some guys who have done some contributions, done things like that. And I think the talent level can get better as you get more NCAA guys, but it's never going to get better if they know they can only make $54,000. People just simply aren't going to come to the CFL if they know they're capped out at that that dollar figure. It's ridiculous. I'll give you Cody Grace. And I'll say this. I want to see what Anthony Mahongu does. I hope I said his last name right. The French receiver Mm -hmm. who was with the Philadelphia Eagles for a stint is now under contract with Ottawa, at least the last time I checked. One of the biggest supporters of the global program that you'll find simply from the standpoint that I believe we have an obligation as a football community to take initiatives like this, to expand the game, to give opportunities I mean, that's the whole reason the CFL exists. We give opportunities. The ratio for Canadians is so important to me. Expanding it to, to allow some, some global players to come over makes a lot of sense for me. It's something I've always believed. But the way it's been handled by the league could have been done so much better, right down to, to finding the right talent and to attracting them because you're simply just not doing the things you need to do at this point. We still don't have a director of global scouting. A year later, that's ridiculous to me. So well, let's just put a couple of things in perspective here. First of all, this might be the first time on this podcast we're having a lengthy global discussion about the players in the league. So it's got to be a positive. And we should present the other side of it too, right? That money, the salary, $54,000, was collectively bargained. So we are heading into CBA negotiations. So as much as... You know, people like to blame the league for a lot of stuff. And we have with a bunch of our comments in this discussion, this is something that will be, I would imagine, addressed at CBA time. And we'll see what happens. And Hanson pretty much said as much that he hopes that something gets rectified and that he can come back here and play. So let's give the league at least the benefit of the doubt for now. Mm -hmm. And that's all fair and good. But then my next question would be, well, where's the global representative on the CFLPA? Because last I checked, there isn't a single global player who has anything to do with anything that's collectively bargained in the CFL. You know, if, if this is a serious thing that the CFL wants to do for the next 10, 15, 20 years is have global players, maybe they need to become a part of the union. And I appreciate that's a CFLPA, not issue, not a CFL issue. But if this is going to be a thing, um, which part of me is surprised it still is, to be quite frank. Uh, let, let's get these players involved with the union because right now they're literally just, you know, they're, they're spinning in a vortex of, you know, no, no one knows what to do with them, including, by the way, their coaches and personnel people. That's a great point, Hodge. And I just want to add one more sort of angle to this, that the CFL has become known for making it up as they go along a little bit, right? Like, let's say uh, the Toronto Argonauts, you go over the cap in 2019, don't pay the fine. So they really, in my mind, 
could have taken a unilateral approach here and allowed the Hanson deal to go through. Mm, That's the part that gets at me the most is that there's other, these other things that you just make it up. And I'm sure that they could have just gone ahead and done it. Now, I don't necessarily know that for sure, but we've seen them do it in other aspects. In fairness to the CFL, we also make it up as we go along here at Three Down Nation, including this podcast. So, (laughs) you know, let's not throw stones at glass houses. I think in in defense of the CFL as well, the NFL has a very similar program. I don't think as many people are aware of it in the International Player Pathway Program. Uh, And they also make it up as they go along a lot. There's significant problems with that program. I know some people involved the scouting side uh, in that regard. Um, And there is occasionally things that they're not finding the best talent they possibly can for that program either, but it has been successful in producing, you know, some notable NFL names, F.A. Obaga uh, out of Great Britain, uh, Jakob Johnson, uh, the starting fullback for the New England Patriots, people of that nature. Um, So there is a pathway to success for these players. There are guys out there. but it's a matter of having the organizational structure and the dedication and the right people in place to find it and then giving them the opportunity when it's presented itself to lure people in. And they didn't do that in the Hansen case. We got to take a break. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. Welcome back. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2005, Sandro DeAngelis was signed by the Calgary Stampeders as an undrafted free agent. The kicker was named a West Division All-Star in each of his five seasons in Calgary, connecting on 218 of 260 field goal attempts. That's 83.8%. The native of Niagara Falls signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2010, but made a career low 76.2% of his field goal attempts and was released following the season. DeAngelis had brief stints with Montreal, Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg before his career was eventually over. Dunkster, I would love to know, what do you think of first when you hear the name Sandro DeAngelis? Man, I think of all the hype of when he came to the Cats and they were so jacked up to have a kicker from the area, from Niagara Falls in there. And... I hate saying it, but he was terrible there. You mentioned the percentage, and it just didn't work out. I mean, I do remember him being really great with the Stampeders out of nowhere, undrafted, as you said. But if he could have lived up to that hype in Hamilton, he could have been there for a number of years, but it just didn't happen, man. Yeah, sometimes they say you can't go home. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, after five amazing years in Calgary, uh, he went home and yeah, it didn't work out in Hamilton. No, he should have gone farther away from home. He should have gone to BC. That probably would have helped because he was great in Calgary, right? He would have been a Hall of Fame kicker of BC. I think <laughs> we could all agree. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. TSN's Glenn Suter wants the CFL's next CBA to be seven to ten years long. Is that realistic? Freaking 10? Man, with all due respect, it is not unless there was a sliding scale built in there similar to what the NFL has. Edmonton is hosting the 2023 Football Canada Cup, and I'm fortunate to have a gold medal from one of these with Team Ontario. Shout out Jared Machalink, although I don't think I played with any CFLers except for Elliot Richardson, I believe was in the league. So respect to Mr. Richardson. It's our national championship for provincial teams under 
18 years old at the men's level. Are you looking forward to that, JC? Well, I don't have a gold medal from that event because I could never make a team, but I am absolutely looking forward to it, and we should all do more to support grassroots football in this country. The Riders finalized their coaching staff with the addition of defensive backs coach Marcus Klund. Is that a good move? Hey, the Riders secondary is a position of change. Nelson Lacombo is getting healthy. Ed Ganey is gone. I'm interested to see what happens with that group. The Ticats finalized their coaching staff by bringing in longtime assistant Casey Crehan. Is that a good move? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, when he was their defense coordinator, I had Wyden Ticats fan come up to me and say that, why is this guy back on the staff? Because he wasn't great the last time. So we'll see if the second time is the charm in Hamilton for Mr. Crehan. The Argos have signed Deshaun Amos' younger brother, D'Angelo, who spent part of the 2021 season with the Detroit Motor City Lions. Do you like that brother act in Toronto? I absolutely do. I think it's super cool when you get brothers on the same team. Uh, and I love their Twitter handles. They're almost famous Amos, and uh, now I'm blanking on the other one, but they're they're cool on Twitter. Veteran linebacker Larry Dean says he'll be back to full health for 2022 after missing last season with a torn Achilles. Is that a good sign for the Riders? I think it's good, but I still got questions as to how this whole linebacking core is going to work out. They gave Darnell Sankey big money, but they also say that Micah Tights is still going to be a starter. Interesting. Bolivai Mitchell, like <laughs> me, is a big curling fan. I live and die for the game who said he's tried the sport and wasn't too bad at it. I'm just excited at the idea that I might be better than Bolivar Mitchell at a sport. Have you ever tried curling, Justin Dunk? Dude, I have not, but we might have to line that up. You against Bolivar. Quarterback's got the touch, you know, not quite like those offensive linemen up front who just maul hey. each other all day. Hey. <laughs> I love them, but it's the fact. But Michael Michael Shea told C. Job in Winnipeg that Andrew Harris is quote a once in a lifetime player end quote. How much will the Bombers miss him in twenty two, if at all? I think they will miss him. I think they'll miss him in the locker room. And honestly, I mean, he admitted he was out of shape when he came to camp in 2021. If he was still that good out of shape in 2021, I think he could be easily just as good in shape in 2022. Last one, projected first round NFL draft pick Malik Willis credits former CFL head coach Ken Austin for his growth as a quarterback at Liberty. JC, where do you see Willis going in the upcoming NFL draft? He's a first-round lock. I mean, his ceiling is higher than any other quarterback in the draft. Lock! I'm saying lock right now. His ceiling is so much higher than anybody else in this terrible, objectively terrible quarterback class (laughs) uh, that someone's going to take a shot on His tiny, tiny baby hand? The the (laughs) eight-and-a-half-inch tiny baby hand? It's like that girl on TikTok with the little tiny ones. No. Uh, Malik Willis is a lock for the first round, in my opinion. His upside is huge. I don't know if he'll hit on it, but look at Daniel Jones and Josh Allen's guy, guys with tools like that go in the first round every time, guaranteed. So before yeah. we go, does that get Kent Austin a head coaching job in the NCAA or again in the CFL? I think NCAA for sure. Canada, I think the bigger issue is we need to get Ken Austin in the Hall of Fame because Mm. from what he's accomplished as a player and coach, it boggles my mind that he's still waiting 
for his turn for the call to the hall. But that's a good question. We thank you as always, folks, for listening to this particularly fun episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. We will see you next Wednesday for more quality content. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.